Welcome to the Spoiler Room, eight weeks of Alfred Hitchcock. The next eight episodes, we will be covering some films that are known and not so known of Alfred Hitchcock's. We hope you enjoy the show and aren't too scared. If you do get scared, please pause the podcast, have a drink, come back and finish the podcast. Thank you and enjoy. And welcome once again to another Hitchcock episode. Yes, eight weeks of Hitchcock. We are over the halfway mark. And uh, tonight we've got a very interesting one. It stars James Stewart. So guess which Alfred Hitchcock film it is. Go ahead. I'll give you four guesses. (laughs) Yes, Jimmy Stewart, once again, back with Alfred Hitchcock. And they're doing the story called Vertigo. And I got a great crew for me uh, with me tonight to talk about uh, this interesting thriller. First off, the diva of the spoiler room is with us. She is here. Hello, Dawn. How are you? I am fantastic. How about yourself? Uh, hanging in there, doing well. Uh, looking forward. It's halfway through the week, so always a good uh, sign. You're always headed towards the weekend. Always looking forward to that. So glad you could be here. And uh, next uh, to uh, Don is uh, David. He's back with us. Hello, David. How are you? I'm doing okay. Yourself? Uh, well, we're doing all right. I'm, 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 I'm looking. I'm looking forward to talking about this film. And 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 guess who else is in the room tonight? That's right. You heard him when we talked about the man who knew too much. And and now, well, well, uh, he's here with us once again. Everybody, it's Scotty D. Well, <laughs> why are you doing that thing with your voice? Well, well <laughs> I'm trying to be different. All right. Well, you're different, all right, son. Oh, you're you're, you're cert- certifiable. You I'm are certifiable. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who sees rabbits, but I mean, this is just nuts. This is, <laughs> this is crazy talk. I don't know what we. I should have gone. I should have gone on. You know, something else here. I I, the nerdist was trying to call me. I could have gone. Oh. With, uh, no, <laughs> no. Mark the movie man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> How do kids say it? Cray cray? What is that? <laughs> now I'm going to hell because I just had Jimmy Stewart say cray cray. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> so here we are. And uh, yes, it is the story of Vertigo. And Dawn, do you want to give it a shot to tell the folks what Vertigo is about? I put you on the spot. Vertigo, Vertigo is the story of uh, John Ferguson, who, for reasons I can only assume are racist, is called Scotty because, you know, Ferguson. <laughs> yes. What are you um, my real name's John. What are you talking about? <laughs> go, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm so, sorry. <laughs> so, 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 it is the story of of Scotty, who is hired by a former uh, a former coworker of his to watch his wife, who has been acting suspiciously, and Scotty becomes obsessed with the wife and 
then adultery happens, then death happens. <laughs> the end. Nice. Well said. <laughs> Obsession, adultery, death. There you go. Vertigo. <laughs> That's falling in love again, then death. Oh, yeah. Falling in Well, I don't. There, there was no love. There was no it love. It was obsession. Okay. God, this film. Holy crap. Not made today, that's for sure. Uh, oh, I think. Oh, I think. Oh, I think it could easily be made, but it's just. But I think it was ahead of its time. Oh, I it, agree with you, Scott. Uh, it it surprised me in there quite a bit, but uh, we'll get into it a bit because I had a couple questions. I wanted really. I'm looking forward to the crew's uh, opinions on this. So, uh, let's talk about how the film opens because Alfred Hitchcock does this great job of establishing as we've gone through these films, establishing your viewer into the situation fairly quickly and introducing your character. And you pretty much know so, a lot about him in a very little amount of time. And we have Jimmy Stewart running across the rooftops. And Scott, what what was going on with that? Were they chasing someone? Does it matter? Does it matter? Uh, it's, 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 uh, it was, uh, it's another MacGuffin. It's like it, the, it, the, the, he was a cop. And he, he and another police officer were chasing a suspect across the rooftops. It was a very well shot action sequence for the time. And uh, we don't really find anything about who they're chasing, why they're chasing them. Doesn't matter. Uh, the important thing is that they needed a reason to get them, Jimmy Stewart and this police officer, on the rooftop. And they yeah. did. They got him on the rooftop and... You know, they're jumping from rooftop to rooftop and like they would do soon do on like every other uh, 70s cop show um, like 20 years later. Uh, but now, you know, the, the cop, you know, is, you know, jumps and makes the makes the jump. No problem. Jimmy Stewart doesn't quite make the jump because much as we love him, he's Jimmy Stewart. He's Jimmy Stewart. He's not Jackie Chan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, and uh, he, and so he makes, and so he he slips a bit, and he has this. Jimmy Stewart has this fear of heights, uh, and a fear of heights, uh, when it is pronounced there, can cause people to experience vertigo. Hey, they should call a movie that. Yeah, they should. And, um, <laughs> and it, he gets this vertigo, and it, it causes him to, you know, this awful uh, sensation. And he's just about to black out. This cop is trying to save him. And when the cop tries to save him, Jimmy Stewart is, uh, or Scotty is, uh, I should I should use the character name. It's so rare that I have a we DC keep... character named me. Um, <laughs> Scott, yeah, Scott. We, we keep doing that every episode. Because he, he's, so, he's so much his own person. But, as, uh, but so Scotty, uh, he's trying to, he can't help himself. He's really, and the cops trying to help him and the cop falls to his death, which causes additional feelings of guilt and helplessness in Scotty uh, later on. Uh, so that's the importance of that sequence is just to show that to establish that uh, Scotty was a police officer, a decorated police officer, but he has this fear of heights that, uh, not only proved detrimental to him on the job, it proved deadly for the people he was on the force with, and so he uh, resigned in shame. That's the whole thing about there. And then we get uh, a scene that um, 
does exposition on that for what seems like 20 minutes. <laughs> We're talking yep. about the scene with Midge, right? Yes, yes. Where, where they're exploring that whole thing. Yeah, and I love Midge, I want to say, for the record. I'm sure she's going to come up, but I love Midge. Mm -hmm. I think she's a, she's like, that's the type of woman I would probably go for, honestly. But um, Midge, uh, Midge was really cool. But um, the... Um, but yeah, that's but the, but the, but I noticed this last time. I was in like, wow, there are exposition scenes, especially in the first half of this movie, that really go on. <laughs> this one particularly, well, I think it's noticeable. And folks, we are going to probably jump around in this film. I know a lot of people have covered this, so we're not going to just break it in order. But um, that I think it's really noticeable with the exposition scenes because. You really have long periods of time, I noticed, where there's no dialogue or very little. Yes. So when you get those exposition scenes, I think they stand out even more um, in this film. So, you know, uh, here with his Vertigo, which I find funny because the film's called Vertigo. And David, uh, Vertigo actually doesn't come up as much as you might think in a film called Vertigo, does it? No, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you would think that um, uh, with uh, Virgo being the fear of heights, uh, you'd think that, you know, uh, Jimmy Stewart would find a moment where he'd be standing on a skyscraper in the middle of New, uh, uh, New, New York going, ah, you know. But, uh, <laughs> you, you don't really find him doing too much of that. Uh, um you know, until he actually, you know, steps on a stool or. Yeah, yeah he, the stool scene. And then you don't get any really instance of vertigo for quite some time. But um, yeah, it just surprised me a little bit that how little there was a vertigo, though. I'm sure uh, I'm shallow as a puddle um, because I'm sure there's more meaning to it than just yes. him falling or having the physical condition of vertical. And I think that's, yeah. And I think that psychedelic moment that it was ha having evidently after the death of someone. Oh, that great animation sequence. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Dodd, I, from your sound of it, I knew you were kind of wanting to, to, to jump in on it. So go ahead and tell us the vertical. It's not just the physical condition we're talking it's about. It's not it? just the physical condition of vertigo. It is the metaphorical vertigo that is the psychological vortex that he spirals into with this obsession. Wow. That was that was way too good for the show. <laughs> that was awesome, Don. I love that. We, wow. That's why it is called vertigo. That's that's deep right there. Scotty D, would you agree with that, uh, why it's called Vertigo, not just for the physical condition? I would. It's a great, it's a great observation. I think we should expand on it um, because uh, that's what this film is. It's, uh, it's, an, it's so much so that when De Palma did one of his uh, uh, quote-unquote Hitchcock homages to this movie, the movie was – the first time he did it was called Obsession. Uh which is kind of a more on the nose title. It's the Palma we're talking about. But, but yeah, and that's why I said quote unquote because there's still because because there's there's still that there's still that uh, 
uh, debate. Are they homages? Are they just ripoffs? Uh, you know, <laughs> I won't. I won't say my opinion there because I do enjoy those films. But um, uh, no, I think it de de deserves a, a expanding upon. It's uh, this whole thing is. Uh, I, I want to say that it is probably Hitchcock's most. Um, it's. I think it's his darkest film. Oh yeah, and it's. I, and I think it is also probably one of his most psychologically complex films, where. You know, we joke, I mean, I remember the first time I saw this movie, which was, you know, long time after it became famous because it was unavailable for the longest time. It wasn't really until uh, the mid-90s when they restored it that it came back into circulation again. And uh, when I saw it, joke as we do about Jimmy Stewart being the everyman, yeah, he is the everyman, and you get to see him turn into this, like, psychotically obsessed creep. And um, just you see, like, the you actually see every man, somebody who could literally be us, slip into absolute madness <laughs> from this. So, and it does, and it does feel like, uh, and it does kind of feel like the ground is taken out from under him at several points, uh, uh, metaphorically speaking, and that he is kind of just like slipping further and further downward into this spiral here so yeah it it surprised me because um i don't think i've in all honesty and again why i love taking this journey of eight weeks of hitchcock is because in all honesty some of these i've only seen bits and pieces and vertigo is one of those where i've only seen bits and pieces not sat down and actually watched from start to end and you can kind of see why i mean it, it's kind of hubris that jimmy stewart is with alfred hitchcock uh, all the time, but these roles that Jimmy is getting in Alfred Hitchcock films are different than what people picture him as, because of course everybody pictures him as old George Bailey. You know, or, or, you know, it, it's a Wonderful Life, or the Everyman, or, or that, you know, that casual night, the nice guy. You know, it's Jimmy Stewart. You know, mm -hmm. how can you say anything bad? And then you get Vertigo, where you watch him turn into this thing that you're just like. Oh my God, this is dark. <laughs> you know, in watching it this time, I wondered, I was trying to watch for the kind of the, the moment when he turned into the bad guy. Not the, well, not the bad guy, but certainly the crazy not guy. Not the nice guy. Yeah. And whenever that happened, started before the movie started yeah because he was not even when he was in in that uh initial dragging exposition uh scene with midge he was very self-absorbed and mm -hmm. yeah he was taking responsibility for his uh, actions or seeming to he was very much playing oh poor me i'm the victim here yeah. Oh yeah, and that—that's the one th good thing about that long exposition scene, though, where he's talking to Midge. Is Midge is just not having. <laughs> she's just. Yeah, like, exactly. The 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 temptation is to say throughout the film is like, oh, doesn't he see what he has? He should end up with Midge, but for Midge's sake, do we really want him to? Oh God, <laughs> you know, and it's the thing. Like, but then again, you're like, but I kind of like Midge, and I don't. I think she deserves better. <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> yeah, that's a good observation. Yeah, he's already kind of in an odd place to where it almost seems more natural if you once you pay attention uh where he goes it actually seems natural for where we catch you know that, where we go, go ahead. ahead no go ahead go ahead i was just going to say where we're, where we're at in his life in ferguson's life it actually makes a lot of sense but I, because it's jimmy stewart people picture it oh my god i mean we do it here on through all these episodes where he's in we keep referring to him by Jimmy Stewart and not yeah, Jimmy Stewart, you know, you, you just like you know, if you and I don't want to compare their acting ability at all, but there are some people who are more known to be uh, iconic. Uh, in like uh, when we were growing up, Schwarzenegger. Did it, did we care who his character was called in in Commando? No, <laughs> no. Um, you know, you know, uh, or you know, before that, John Wayne. You know, John Wayne was. Very much the thing. Marilyn Monroe was very much, you know, even though Marilyn Monroe was a talented actress and was getting better and better uh, before her untimely demise there, she, uh, you know, she was, you know, an icon first and almost considered an icon first and a thespian second. Uh, and Jimmy Stewart's the same way. I really do like Dawn's point also, like the two points that she made, the one about the title and then also that uh the is that the mad and that the obsessiveness and the madness and the self-absorption uh all happened before the film began mm -hmm. i really like and, and i think that that's really good good to know because we are trying to catch that we're trying to catch like okay what's the moment where we could have said ah because you know it's i noticed that this time it was like if it was one of those if only movies oh if only they didn't if only he didn't get this assignment if only they didn't meet up if only they he didn't insist on this if only she didn't insist on this you know but really it goes back further cuz you're like well if only he wasn't cuz ready to become this person in order for this plot in this movie to work and it's really, uh, it's really, this really, you have to suspend disbelief more than almost any other Hitchcock film I'd seen yeah. <laughs> since, since at least 39 Steps, um, was, um, is um, that, you know, there's a lot depending on it. He has to get the assignment and it, it all depend it all stems that he has to become obsessed with this person. Right. If he doesn't become obsessed with this, if he doesn't accept the job and he doesn't become obsessed with this person, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. How did they know he would become obsessed? Well, one thing you could just say is that is that that's just writing and you're supposed to suspend the disbelief of that. Another is to say that maybe he maybe they knew how self-absorbed he was. They knew how obsessive he became. You know, why did that uh, why did uh, his and uh, Midge's um, engagement break up? Break up? Why did she break it off? You know, mm -hmm. probably because she saw some of that. Yeah, that's that's a good point. What about you, David? Do you think uh, our our man Ferguson was kind of on a, a a spiral or in a place already that was darker? And I think it may, you know, do you think maybe it was tough for the audience maybe to accept because it's you know. Stewart? I think so because we we kind of started like in the middle of uh, well kind of in the middle of of his story you, you know in a sense because you get the you get that scene in the very beginning where where he's you know obviously having that 
recurring dream of what, what uh, you know, when he went and, went and chased, you know, someone down, uh, down and got that fear of uh, uh, heights and whatnot. And then, of course, you start uh, uh, start to know Midge a little a little bit, and you uh, you get a sense that uh, that they you know have been together, and uh, because of his conversation or what uh, whatnot, and they all obviously. I think you guys hit it on the nose there. I mean, how how is it that they could have been engaged before, mm. and and nothing had been wrong with um, John Ferguson's uh, character to begin with? You know, I mean, really? there had to have been something wrong for them to break it off. Well, so soon too, because she mentions they were only what. They were only engaged for like three weeks or something like that before she broke it off. Yeah, and he was actually surprised she broke it off. Well, you're you're the one that broke it off, you know. <laughs> He's like, well, and then later, uh, later, uh, doesn't it seem like Midge gets a little obsessive about him too? A little, yes, yes she she does. I mean, she she shows up later where, um, because. As events progress, and as I said, folks, we jump around. As events progress, eventually Ferguson and the woman that he's supposed to follow end up crossing paths as he rescues her from San Francisco Bay, which she dove into. And as uh, she is leaving his apartment, Midge is showing up there and sees it and tries to draw her own conclusion from things, um, you know, and gets the... Well, actually, the right idea um, of what could be going on, and, and she's following him, and then you know she's she's because then you have the event that happens, which is the death of this woman he just fell in love with, and I know we're jumping around, but he's there in that uh, uh you know being taken care of and counseling, and Midge is there like every day, you know, and and it yeah she does care for him, but. Now that you mentioned, I'm wondering if she has got her own little bit of "quote unquote" vertigo uh, going on with that. Mm-hmm. Um, Don, what do you think of, of Midge? Do you think that maybe she she becomes kind of obsessed as well? Not maybe to the level of Ferguson, but absolutely. I mean, there's definitely you can tell even at the beginning when they're talking about their uh, uh, abridged engagement that there is some regret going on um but she was still even though she broke off the engagement it was very clear because hitchcock is very good with directing body language it was very clear that she was still expecting them to get back together after he um for lack of a better turn of phrase um grew up yeah and it, which led into the uh, her being more interested in the what was going on and following uh, showing up at his house and seeing that and then finally when he was in convalescence at the hospital um don't get me even started on how they portrayed that psychiatric hospital but um <laughs> Because that was absolutely not what psychiatric hospitals were like at that point. But um, even her response to him then 
I think that was her finally letting go. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Well, when she... Uh, yeah, because she realized he was still in love with uh, the woman, even though um, uh, she was dead. He was still carrying this torch for uh, Madeline El Elster. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to look... I forgot the name, so I want to look up before I keep saying the woman. Uh, Madeline S Elster, who is the wife of his friend who he was supposed to follow. He, he fell in love with her. And, and she I thought you were just being secretive. No, no. <laughs> not yet. No. The woman. We'll, we'll get to it in a little bit of why. Yeah, that's cute. <laughs> I, I was. I wasn't. I wasn't trying to. Damn this modern age. <laughs> yes, fine. Okay, go ahead, Brammy. Whatever. I'm. I'm Ferguson from the 50s. There you go. This is definitely, this is this film is definitely nestled in the 50s. Let's put it that way. Um, because we have Madeline Elster, who is the woman that Ferguson is following. He's the one that eventually he saves from the bay. He's the one that her husband uh, is saying she's crazy um, because she zones out and she goes to this painting that she visits of this woman that looks like her. And then to this location, which is historical significance to her grandmother, and you find out she has a dark past. This film is all kinds of dark. Mm -hmm. Here, she, her her family has a history of her grandma uh, committing suicide after going crazy, and here she could be going crazy. Carl um, Carlotta hmm? Madre, Carlotta Madre. Yeah, was the name of on um, the gravestone at least. Yes, Carlotta. <laughs> yep, who was like her grandmother and there's this just really unusual story they build up in this history with Madeline. But what I love about this really is the fact that as much as, and as interesting as it is on the whole, um, Scott, how much does that actually play to the movie? <laughs> Meaning? Well, because we build up all of this history and stuff with her and the Colada and the ah. backstory, you know, with, with the Madeline character. Mm -hmm. But if you get down to brass tacks, all of that, how much of that is actually significant to the core of what happens, which is Madeline uh, falling to her death. Um, <laughs> it is the most, it is like, you know, if, if, if like a, a bunch of psychology, Psychologists had to get together and create a Rube Goldberg device on how to kill somebody without using any actual tools. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, as I said, you know, it, it all depends on him having to fall in love with this person. Well, what else do we have to? They also have this weird storm, and so it can't be. It can't be like. Can't be like. Hey, I think my my wife might be suicidal could you keep an eye on her no it's no she's obsessed with this dead woman and she might be i think she's possessed by her spirit and i think she's uh and all of this you know we're drawn into this as well then that's the idea really right. is to draw us into this as well and uh so we get kind of drawn into this weird thing but it's like all this all this crazy stuff and really the important thing is just to draw scotty into it and draw and, and make 
him obsessed, and that's the whole point of it. It can't be just like anything else. It has to be. It has to be very specific, and it's a lot. It's a lot to heave onto an audience. But Hitchcock is so good at playing the audience that we is that you know. This is like my fifth or sixth time seeing the movie, and it was finally this time I said, "Hitch, this is a bunch of bullshit, isn't it?" I'm like, I'm like this, I'm like, do you know how much is like you know has to like depend on, you know, this weird. This is an odd. This is a weird plot, you know, to to spit on somebody, but they do it. I mean, how in- integral is it to it? Well, it is and it isn't. A lot of it is smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, he gets, Scotty gets obsessed by following her obsession, which it turns out is not an obsession. It's an act, yeah. you know, and then develops yet another obsession, you know, afterwards, you know, and that was they were not planning on and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff like that. So it draws you in, which, of course, creates different layers and everything like that. But at the same time, uh how much is of it is important is of this uh, weird plot is important to in the plot where this guy just needs to basically get them on a tower so he can push his wife off. Um, mm-hmm. Probably not a hell of a lot, you know? <laughs> but, but, you know, but we, it's important that Scotty gets drawn in and because he is the everyman, it is important that we get drawn in and that's mm-hmm. that that's the reason it's all there and that's the reason he's doing it and it's yeah he hitchcock is messing with us he's always been messing with us that's like his whole thing he, lo- <laughs> so. yeah. he loves messing with oh. the audience david is is there telltale signs early that uh old ferguson is being played with or uh do you think they cover it well by making this story with Madeline so involved and multi-layered for old Jimmy Stewart. I mean, uh, Ferguson to, to dive into. I think they cover it really well um, uh, because Alfred Hitchcock, uh, uh, like we have already s- uh, said, does like to fuck with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he likes to fuck with our minds. Uh, so it's uh, like uh, uh, more, more or less, you, uh, you got a backstory that you're following along, and uh, uh, to me, it's kind of like the Velociraptor, um, where um, the yeah, uh, you, you come across the uh, the one uh, one raptor that's staring you in the face, and the other one you didn't even know was there. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a good analogy. Yeah, uh, Don, how about you? Do you feel that they they covered this well by giving this depth? such a deep story to cover the fact that they're just playing Jimmy. I mean, uh, Ferguson. Yes. I, I really like David's analogy. Um, and I also agree strongly with Scott. Um, integral to the plot, not really, but integral to showing, to drawing the Ferguson character in and having the Ferguson character drag the audience in, making it believable, making it plausible. Um, he loves to play that. Is it a supernatural ghost card? Um, doesn't he? He really likes to play that because there were a lot of scenes setting up, setting up Ferguson as, as uh, Madeline was setting up Ferguson, and as uh, Ferguson was following Madeline, where she would just he'd be following her, and then she'd appear to completely disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, 
when he followed her to the old hotel, when she would go, when she was at the museum, she just up and left. And it seemed like she just mysteriously vanished because the husband said she would just disappear. Right. Be. He set it up to be the, the haunting of the grandmother of Carlotta. But suddenly when they went to the Redwood, Redwood forest, she stopped disappearing and he could find her. And at that, it's at that point when she knew she had him hooked that she stopped just disappearing. Right. Yeah, because she, she, she draws him in hook, line, and sinker. Oh, yeah. Um, which, again, is an unusual character for us to see old Jimmy in, but this is a guy who's self-absorbed. And he... I like the fact that by just making him a detective, too, is a great way for you to immediately understand his motivation for digging into this, uh -huh. you know, uh, at the start. A and then him becoming obsessed in that, you realize that's his personality. <laughs> um, the thing is, was that gradual or was that actually more of a, a quick, you know, descent into, you know, the, the, the obsession? The, the, the obsession itself, was it already there, do we, it, uh, do we think? It's there when he first sees her. Okay. You, you could tell. I mean, there's that one uh, one of my favorite epic, and it's just a little side note, epic rap battles of history. Uh, <laughs> they have, uh, the, the rap battle starts off as Steven Spielberg and uh, Alfred Hitchcock, and Spielberg says that, Alfred is famous of Jimmy Stewart making one of two faces. Well, he's got a lot more faces, and he makes that face, his character, just the minute he sees her, he's hooked. You know, I mean, it, it, it's, it goes beyond the, um, uh, you know, he's already into it. He's like, okay, yep, I'm going to follow her. The minute he sees her at, uh, what is it, at Ernie's or Eddie's? Ernie's. Uh, Ernie's. Uh, uh, it is a... Uh... Which was a real place in San Francisco. It was a it was an iconic steakhouse. Cool. Now I want steak. Thanks, Scotty. Yeah. Well, sorry, <laughs> sorry we only have booze. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Wisconsin. Uh, but you know, I I think David, you, you make a good point of when his obsession starts. I think it's immediately when he sees her. Don, what do you think? Do you think that that pretty much is the trigger right there? I mean, I, it is gradually gets deeper into the obsession but i mean it's like boom it, based on basically her looks yeah i i saw her too <laughs> <laughs> she she was she was designed mm -hmm. to be that yes every aspect of her from her from her um xinyang i always you know overpronounce that Yes. But, but but from her quaff all the way down to her pumps, <laughs> she she was designed to be the um, object of obsession. Yeah, and it, whether or not they did that for the movie, but I think it more so was Gavin Ellister setting up old John uh, by doing that because these guys. I, I don't know if they're, they're old work buddy or they're war buddies, aren't they? It was like yeah. I thought they were at college together. They were war buddies. They, they were, were war buddies. 
They were college and war that's, buddies, I think, because that's where his Scotty uh, nickname came from. Yeah. <laughs> he said that he he was an old friend from the war. Right. Yep. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Who had called him up uh, because he hadn't heard from him in, like, God knows how long or whatever uh, yeah. uh, the, the heck he said. At least that was uh, what I heard. Yeah, what that was during... This did... is a revenge flick as well. A revenge? Uh, I'm not sure. I never got the impression of revenge. I got the impression that it's just a mark that uh, Alistair knew Ferguson enough that he was a mark. Yeah, but he took her up to that tower and made her go through the, uh, that. And obviously, we knew that uh, knew that something was going to happen. I mean, that I didn't expect her to fall. Like, mm. You know, it, 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 in the very end, when I first saw this uh, for the first time. But could we, in fact, say that this was, in fact, his revenge on her for making him love her? Oh, you're talking about jumping near the end when he finds out that it was all a ruse and Madeline Elster is actually Judy Barton. You know, that's what that was my question. That was going to be my question to the group for that. Uh, and, I, and I'm glad you brought it up, uh, David, is... Um, with her because folks the, this film like i said there's it's really dense um but basically what ends up happening is madeline uh supposedly died jimmy stewart goes into convalescence because he just after has a, a break basically a psychological break with a really wild animation sequence um which i wish i could dream like that uh <laughs> he suddenly runs across this woman who looks like madeline and she's Judy. And we find out Judy is Madeline. And she was used as a decoy, basically as an excuse for his old buddy, in quotes, Ellister, to kill his real wife and throw her off, of, off a tower. So Jimmy becomes kind of... This is where this film just gets creepy. I mean, it, it's not... If it doesn't get creepy before, Scott, Jimmy Stewart, he... he everything gets confessed to him and he's like oh ferguson and he's like well why don't you have dinner with me dude from here from this part on to the rest of the film this film just goes to another level of creep doesn't it oh yeah and that's just the part that got me was uh um because he he it's kind of funny because he did psycho the audience before just before psycho um is that it, it appeared that he killed the um lead halfway through the movie yeah that's and, right that's the way and, I feel. And, and, you know and you're like oh my gosh wasn't expecting that and um then she meets this other person and everything and um he doesn't know quite right away he thinks that as far as he's concerned he's seeing her all everywhere anyway but this person really reminds him of the person that he lost when he comes across her again so we just think that she's like some struggling uh, person from Kansas. And then, you know, when he leaves, we hear it kind of in a letter that she almost writes to him and then tears up that, no, this was all part of a plot. But Scotty is still in the dark on this. Mm -hmm. And he start, and so he's still in the dark on this as he tries to mold this person into this dead woman this quote-unquote dead woman 
you know, do your hair like her. To, and like, just like totally like gaslighting her and uh, trying to, you know, you know, put her doesn't really consider her feelings, you know, well, change your hair. It can't matter to you. Yeah. Um, uh, it's like, that's the line that always gets me like, oh, Jesus, you fucking creep. Um, but uh, he's, um, you know, and he gets obsessed and it gets dark uh, as he just goes further and further and further into this. And um, this is the part where you really see him lose his tether. And if he was coming off as a sympathetic character before, you lose a lot of sympathy for him uh, in this movie uh, as you see him go more and more mad. So um, so would you say, because uh, that, that was my question to you guys is, when do you think he suspected? Is it not until the necklace? Because I, it's Alfred. The way he directs this, I think. He, I think it all come came crashing down with the necklace. I don't think he suspected, though. Because I think know, that okay. even though he was a detective, he should have seen it. Mm -hmm. He, he should have want to. He didn't. Exactly. He didn't want to. And also, he didn't have the mental faculties to see that. Not right. only did he not want to, but his brain, I don't think... I don't think he was any good as a detective anymore. I don't think he could. I don't think that he could. I think he could barely function uh, in society uh, at that point. Um, yeah. So yeah, so yeah, I think that. Uh, I mean, at the inquest for the uh, wife's death, they did all but accuse him of murdering <laughs> or the woman himself. I mean, they God, really did freaking yes, trial. They, they really let him have it. And, uh, um, and so I think that this, uh, I think, I don't think that he, I don't, I think that it all, then all of a sudden he had what's called a moment of clarity when he saw really? the necklace. Really? And, um, then I think it all came crashing down. And I think then his, um, psychology of, you know, molding her into this person, I don't think it was a revenge at first. I think it is then though, cause I think that he gets downright sadistic at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, he yeah. gets like scary Stuart. It's like yeah. holy shit. David, oh what about you? I mean, you you, you brought it up. Uh you, you mentioned it as revenge flick. Do you think that that's the breaking point where that's the first time Jimmy uh excuse me, Ferguson realizes that he really was played was when he sees the necklace, or did you feel maybe that he was suspecting her sooner and he was putting her through these paces of looking like her on purpose for revenge? Well, um, I think that um, at that moment when he realized that necklace was from that portrait, um, he was it, 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 he was definitely um, almost g gone into that obsession stage, and I think that kind of snapped him out of his reverie that he was in that uh, that level of reverence where. where uh, he is like, okay, now uh, you, you've got the shoes, uh, you, you've got the socks. Okay, uh, 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 let's get you the hair now. You know, uh, it's uh, um, once he got snapped out of that, uh, that's when uh, that's when I think the, the, the uh, you could almost hear the uh, the clockwork in his brain clicking, like uh, or uh, 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 right, because right after that uh, that is where uh, where he, he you see him in the you see him in the car yeah 
I, I love that uh, drive where she's like, where are we going? And he's like, I've just got one more thing to take care of. Yeah. You know? <laughs> one last thing to do. So. Yeah, anyone who doesn't think Jimmy doesn't have range needs to watch this film because yeah. he gets well, Norman Bates level. And there's, yeah. there's one uh, one thing I, I wanted to say. That judge was really judgmental. He, uh, <laughs> he, um, he was, it isn't his title, but <laughs> he was downright insulting to, uh, uh, to Jimmy there uh, there for a moment. Uh, his character. Uh, or, uh, where he's uh, like, well, um, evidently he just ran away from uh, uh, from the damn thing and let her fall, you know? So it was. <laughs> yeah, the judge, that was so weird. I'm like, it was what? hilarious. I was, I, was just, I was just like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it that, judge is no, uh, that, uh, that judge is not as quiet as most ju uh, judges are. He's kind of, you know, he just says uh, says what he feels like, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, he was, was like, like he was like he was like very he was very passive and he was so passive aggressive about it. He wasn't like a judge Jody or anything like that. He was just like, well, this was well, they he was just put in the care of Detective Ferguson, which was a mistake. And he <laughs> <laughs> and even though he had already caused the death of a of a fellow officer, Nevertheless, they chose to do this, and and perhaps if he had actually reacted, there then the woman would be alive. Like, like, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that judge was. It's almost for a while. I actually thought for a second that maybe that wasn't the real inquest. We're just hearing what Scotty is hearing is from his point of oh. view. But then again, I'm like, okay, you know what? Hitchcock is amazing, but let's. Let's just say that no, there's also a chance that the judge's just a dick. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think, given Hitchcock's history with the other uh, five films or so that we've watched, and his opinion of the the law enforcement system, I think the judge was just a dick. Uh, <laughs> he made that, but he wasn't wrong. He he wasn't wrong. That's what the bet. That's what's really weird. And this the the tone is very much still. In that scene, it's very much still, oh, poor Scotty. He's such a victim. Yes, his negligence caused a woman to die. But poor Jim, uh, poor Scotty, because he's still the victim here. Yeah. And that tone carries on. And, and, and it's creepy. <laughs> mm -hmm. we're, yeah. still, we're still kind of supposed, supposed to think that at the end. That he's you a know? victim. That he's the yeah. victim. I mean, the... the you know, the, the camera pulls away, and it's on his tortured face that we're pulling away from. You know, I have been, it's it's been in my mind, and I am hoping somebody else sees this, but I cannot help drawing parallels between John Ferguson and Humbert Humbert. Hmm. Interesting. Especially the way they're written, because Nabokov, in his writing, even though Humbert Humbert was his primary character, the writing exhibited the contempt he felt for that character. And I think that the writing in this film exhibits the contempt that Hitchcock felt for John Ferguson. That's cool. 
because yeah, because Humbert Humbert is a pathetic character, mm-hmm. and there is and you know you th- you think about you know people not wanting to take their quote unquote protagonists and show them as flawed. He's nothing but flaws mm-hmm. in this movie. He's not even a very good detective. No, <laughs> he's he, he's a uh, you know, and so so he's nothing but flaws. So yeah, he's weak. You grows know, there, weaker, and yet and yet he uses what he has in place of strength to exert influence. You're right about the the this flawed character that I honestly, thinking back to it, the film ends. I couldn't find a redeeming quality in John Scotty Ferguson. <laughs> no, he was uh, he was even before. Madeline died just before she ran up to the bell tower. Bell tower and and uh, died. He, uh, he was her possessor. Then, after he was released from the hospital, he was her stalker, her mm-hmm. captor, her um, abuser. God. Right up until the end. That that whole sequence where we get Midge, she leaves because uh, uh, she leaves Ferguson at the convalescence because th- she knows she'll never be able to win his heart. And they say, well, he's going to have about six months to a year. So the next time we see him, he's up and about. From when he entered, w- when he finally comes across Judy Barton to the very end, for a film in the 50s, this thing is so twisted. He... he <laughs> The watching his character transform Judy Barton, and what's worse is Judy reluctantly going along with it because she feels so guilty. For I uh, think, do you think she was feeling guilty? Or that's going that's it? actually going to be my question. <laughs> no, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead, Scotty. Well. You know how we say that there's no love there with Jim, with uh, well Scotty, and um, God, I keep Judy. Thank you. I keep forgetting her name. Uh, that's that's just because I'm lazy and I didn't look it up. Um, but uh, uh, I don't think there's any real love that she has for him either. I think she feels sorry for him. I think that she does probably feel guilty. But also, do you think there's something else? Why do you think? What, do you think there's something else about how she went along with this plot and everything like this? Now, and I don't, I don't want to just place blame on her because she's definitely is a victim in this. Uh, she's the primary victim in this movie. Well, okay, the wife is primarily the victim in this movie, but <laughs> but uh, but but she runs a close second. <laughs> she's the victim with screen time. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, um, but. Um, uh, you know, I thought like, okay, there's a couple, there's a few things you could go with that because I just did not get. I got where she was devoted to this person, but he asked her to dinner. He she did not have to say yes. No, she no, didn't. she didn't. Uh, she did not have. You know, uh, she did. And I'm not t- trying to place too much blame on her because she is such a victim in this movie. But also. I got something from this the last time I saw it. And, you know, there might be a lot of things I love about the possession and everything. I get that she's someone who has had a lot of abuse in the past. 
I get that she's, I mean, doesn't she say something about why she left Kansas and stuff about, well, so she, I, she even, she even drops a line when Jimmy shows up at her door. She's not exactly like shocked, but she says, Oh, you know, I've heard that many times before. Oh yeah. I've been through that as well. Well, I, she, well, she's also says I've been picked up before too. That yeah. can mean a couple of things. That can mean that she's been, you know, uh, around the block, as they would say back in that during that time. You know that she's been promiscuous. It could also mean that uh, that she actually has been arrested. Or right. it was often a, a, was that was actually a term that was used where if you've been arrested for solicitation, uh, mm -hmm. that could be that. But so I'm thinking that there might be a lot of abuse in her past. Uh, a lot of stuff like this, but I think also she doesn't seem like, even though she seems like somebody who was really a, was a hard person, and you still get a little bit of that hardness when you see her in that persona, in, the, in her more natural persona in that scene. But this was a moment in which time, it brings her back to a time when someone was really, truly fascinated by this image of her. Mm -hmm. It brings her back to a time when she could also wear nice clothes, go to art galleries, uh, that she would be perhaps someone that someone would seek after, and that she thought she was going to have a comfortable life after this. She didn't think, she, I mean, she knew that, that, that Scotty was just a tool uh, that they were using, but she thought that she was going to have a, uh, a more comfortable life after this, but then she got ditched, as uh, Scotty puts it, because um, mm -hmm. she gets used. That's her, that's her uh, tragedy. She's all, everybody uses her. Scotty uses her. Um, but I always wondered, like, I don't think there was any love I never thought that I never felt any love. I thought that perhaps it was a seat from, from my point of view, I felt that it was a, her, hers was a combination of falling back on these patterns of abuse that she's experienced in her life. And also trying to relive a moment where she was both comfortable and desired. Don. <laughs> oh, I, I agree. Um, it's it's the pattern with abuse victims that they will absolutely settle and seek out a lesser abuse if it makes them feel normal. Mm -hmm. And I think his form of abuse, because it was it was hand in hand with a near worship, made her feel that it was worth it. Mm-hmm. Her giving up a part of herself, playing that role playing out, was worth it because of the way it made her feel. Yes, because even though I mean, she wanted she wanted to believe that he loved her, just like he wanted to believe that she was the woman he wanted. Um, it, it took a lot of belief uh, and self-delusion on both parts. And it, he was very charming and, and suave <laughs> in his, in his uh, really, really, what does it matter to you if your hair is blonde instead of its natural brown? Really, really, I know you don't like these clothes. 
and I know you know that I want you in these clothes because they're her clothes, but what does it matter to you what you wear? It's not like it's your personality or anything. It's not like it's your identity or anything. I just wonder (laughs) if he hadn't, if she hadn't made the slip and put on the necklace, how long it would have taken for him to start calling her by the name Madeline. Oh, probably not long. And I think not just, I think you guys were right, the way it made her feel, but even before the death of the actual Madeline, uh, the, the um, frame job of the death of Madeline, Mm -hmm. even before that, she enjoyed playing Madeline Mm -hmm. a little, I think. Um, Because he was her knight in shining armor rescuing her. Right. She she was getting in these situations where he would she knew he would stop following her and actually reveal himself to save her. In fact, her jumping into the the bay was the whole point was so he would come to rescue her because she knew he would. Mm-hmm. And but you look at the way she plays it, too. She's supposed to be. And I know. Please don't. I hope anyone doesn't take this the wrong way. It is still the 50s. The way her character is behaving, though she is married, the way she is interacting with Ferguson is not the normal kind of way you would kind of expect, even if she did like him, because especially that first time, you know, when you find out that he does the ultimate creeper thing and strips her down naked because to dry her clothes. Oh my god, that made me feel so dirty. Oh my god, didn't it? It's like it's like okay. And she's minute. like, if that will make if that will make will that make you love me? <laughs> well that, that before that, this is what after she first fell in the San Francisco Bay Area and he, he Bay and he rescues her and she's laying in bed and her clothes are on dryer. And normally in scenes like this. The woman has like her underwear on or undergarments or something on, but she doesn't in this, which means uh, I stripped her naked. Oh, uh, <laughs> which it just made you feel like, because at that point, you know, his character's obsessed with her anyway. <laughs> and now he dressed, undressed her while she was unconscious. And it's just like the rest of this film. Damn it. It just, <laughs> It's so creepy. You know, it's, you know, and you don't, because of censorship, you don't see the inevitable. Um, You don't think, okay, it looks exactly like it. Um, Also, you know, we don't know if they're having sex or not. I honestly don't know if he can. I don't think they are. I don't think he can, um, personally, and I don't think it, but doesn't she kind of kiss the same? That's what I was wondering. Like, doesn't she, wouldn't you notice that? Like, I mean, there's some people where, I mean, if you've had, you know, you know, more than, you know, one, uh, uh, you know, significant other in your life, you know, that there's different pe- ways people kiss and everything like that. The, what I was going to say about sexuality was when that moment finally came, you know, people's bodies are different. They feel different. Uh, you'll notice like a certain mole that someone has somewhere, you know, what if she has the same mole? Yeah. You know, I was, I was kind of wondering about that. There's a lot. 
I mean, this this you know facade is so paper thin. Uh, even with all this uh, dressing on it, is it's so paper thin it could all unravel in a in a moment. And I think if it wasn't the necklace, it would have been something else. Honestly, it it might have, but the yeah, you make up a good point. I think it proved just how blind his obsession was, though. Mm-hmm. And, and and in that point, you're absolutely right. I mean, he would he should. You know, if they did go that far, he he, you would think he would notice more similarities with her, even though she says she wasn't the woman at all. But he's so obsessed with the idea of Madeline that even if he did see it, even if part of his little detective brain that gets buried or may have never even been there, but the little part of him that's a detective noticed something. I think the rest of him just pushes it away because he's so obsessed with Madeline and he wants her to be Madeline so badly that, oh, yeah, she does have a similar mole to what Madeline had, but that makes it even better. You you know what I mean? You know, I, I think he I think that's part of the blind obsession. You're right. It is paper thin. And the audience is probably sitting there going, dude, dude. Back then, they were saying, "Sir, sir." Um, I, I say, that, "Governor." <laughs> I think they were a little bit more accepting back the, uh, back then, mm-hmm. uh, because even though the, this is probably some cin- a, a cinematic experience that, uh, that nobody was uh, was prepared for, mm-hmm. but um, in that mindset, um, people were a lot more accepting. Audiences didn't. Audiences at that time certainly did not look as deeply as as we look these days. Correct. So they would accept things at face value. Yeah, I, I, yeah. You, you're like, okay, no, he just, yeah, he he's uh, he just likes her, and he he just wants her to be like Madeline. But mm-hmm. they don't look any deep surface. Just like they probably. <laughs> They probably didn't have conversations like we're having tonight where we're sitting down and going, well, you know, Judy Barton probably had some major abuse in her. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Well, I mean, that also, you know, a lot of the things we're talking about, Hitchcock was always, um, uh, who we've discussed on uh, earlier uh, shows, has his own uh, issues, has his yes. own issues with misogyny mm-hmm. and everything. Um, he also, though, was uh, had his... Um, was always studying psychology and everything else, which was still, I mean, there were lots of people who still didn't believe in that at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's, um, and talk about, you know, I mean, and, and we have to talk about, you know, that the autonomy and agency of women is something that was not, as we've also discussed, not considered in the fifties yeah. a lot of times. So, Thoughts about you know past abuse. What wait? What what's abuse? We don't understand. This is an age where virtually everybody beat their kids. Yeah, you know this is an age and or wives. It was uh yeah it it was it was a time when any kind of abuse that's something you didn't talk about and if you couldn't get over that well that was a problem with you. I mean it's I mean it was messed up. That's amazing. You know. (laughs) We, I get, I throw a lot of, we throw a lot of stuff on our folks, but when you see how they're erased, you're like, God, it's amazing. Anybody got out, uh, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, 
I think that um, so all these things we're discussing right now, which probably are present in these people, are still things that were never, ever, ever, ever discussed or talked about because, well, it just wasn't proper. Well, and, and it, it, that falls a little bit back to the, you know, somewhat sympathy, but we talk about that, that odd hearing, like is being held in a makeshift court. Like I was like, that was quick. Um, you know, where Jimmy's on, excuse me, Ferguson's on trial because of the death and the judge is just berating him. And the feeling I got from that scene was, well, he wasn't man. He wasn't a man enough. Yeah, he couldn't go up and save her. He's a coward. Uh -huh. You're a, you're not, you're not even be worth to call a man. Yeah, that was the impression I got. Yeah, he, de de he uh, emasculated him. Yeah, he, he, yeah, and you know, I think people sometimes don't get me wrong. I, I there is lots of the, you know, the the abuse of spouses and abusive kids that happened behind closed doors that no one talked about ever. But at the same time, there was a, I won't say pressure, but this specific cultural idea of what the man was supposed to be, because most of these guys had served through the war. Mm -hmm. so you should be, you should be a hero. You should be a man. He should have, you know, so there is that going on at that time too, to where some of these guys did what they did because that is what people expected them to do, whether or not they wanted to do it. Uh -huh. I hope that makes sense. But you get that feeling a little bit with Jimmy's with, with Ferguson character, in all honesty, is, you know, in fact, he gets called out by uh, Ellister. That's kind of the pushing of him to be a uh, detective is, you know, well, we're going to have dinner and say, well, I, I can only be on the ground floor. Well, don't worry. Ernie's is on the ground floor. You know, I mean, but he plays to him like, you know, don't be a coward, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you can be a detective, be a man and do this for me. You, you know, which is funny because it's that same weakness that he intends to ex exploit. Right. 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 You know, another thing that occurred to me, um, and here's my question. Um, how do you feel about the fact that through this whole situation, when he is going to be teaching Judy a lesson and taking care of her for her part in the situation, it never seems to occur to him that it was his best friend, war buddy, college buddy, that is actually the person that set him up. Yeah. Yeah, he 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 takes it out on her mm -hmm. <laughs> when when it was Elster that that triggered this whole situation. Well, he's not. Well, Elster's not there. Yeah. Uh, also, there's a, an also. Um, so it's who's ever in, I think in you know basically within reach, mm -hmm. and also because even though Elster is the one that made him. Fe really did manipulate him to feel this way. He's going to put the blame on the person that he felt that he fell in love with, which we've already established. He just got fixated on. He's going to yep. put the blame on the person who he's going to blame for this uh, so-called weakness and everything. And it's going to be this 
woman who's been, you know, kicked around by both sides, you know? And uh, that's, so I think that's why he doesn't go after Elster. I mean, we never find out for sure. Well, well, you do kind of, if you watch the foreign ending to this movie, which Hitchcock <laughs> didn't like, but uh, otherwise, but otherwise you don't find out about, you know, what happened to this person, even this Elster person, you yeah, know, you don't just, he kind of drops off the map. Um, yeah. You know, you, you find out, you know, if you saw the, if you watch this, they've, it's some of the foreign uh, territories made him tack on this little epilogue where they're listening to the radio and it sounds like they're on the manhunt for him and everything like that. And oh, they, did they really? Yeah. Oh, and that it was a it was a scene where he goes back to Midge's apartment and there's no talking, but Midge is listening to the radio and he walks just walks in, and I think it's meant to uh, establish that um, that they're gonna don't worry they're gonna catch the bad guy and he'll probably end up going back to Midge, but uh, Hitchcock hated it so much he was obligated to put it in and he removed it from as many prints as possible. <laughs> yeah, and. I I don't blame him. That totally changes the dynamic of yeah. the character in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Movie. It was absolute trash, and they nobody liked it. I mean, there's not even any dialogue in the scene, really, mm. uh, because nobody wanted to do the scene. And um, <laughs> but uh, you know, otherwise you don't hear from this person. You know, it's just uh, her. So yeah. What well, What about you, David? And and uh, old Ferguson taking it out on Judy Barton when actually it was Elster who did this to him, why is he not going after him? Because she's the one who made him feel the emotions mm -hmm. behind all of this. She, I mean, it takes a lot to be able to admit love from someone. Uh, 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 although some people are just, uh, just that down, uh, darn easy and wear their hearts on their sleeves. God damn it. But <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, I mean, I, I know guys who fall in love, in love with girls in hours. So it's it's pointless to uh, to say, hey, um, you know, don't fall in love or anything like that. But um, this was definitely definitely bigger than a crush. It was more a uh, uh, more obs uh, obsession uh, than he probably expected himself. Mm -hmm. to, or maybe he already had that obsessed gene inside of him. Who knows? But um, I think that he went after her because she's the one who admitted the most emotions. And if he had had a chance to do so, he would probably have done something to the friend as well. <laughs> right. But you're. I, I get what you're saying because... In in in, a, in his line of thinking, she's to blame for, in a way, of making him become so obsessed with her, and then betraying him. How dare you? Never mind the fact that she's been a pawn of both these guys. But in his mm -hmm. twisted mind, he takes her up to the tower at the very end to teach her a lesson, her a lesson when she's really been the pawn. Uh, but like you said, yeah, he, in his mind, he's blaming her a bit for the way he feels and the betrayal. You know, how dare you make me uh, love you and the betrayal, at least the, the, what I, the way I feel uh, with that. And I'm going to show you a lesson. And he takes her to the tower. And yeah, and then she gets spooked by the nun. 
which I will tell you right now, the nun creeping around in the bell tower when she appears, that was scarier than the entire movie of the modern horror film called The Nun. That was creepy. <laughs> that entire movie. Okay. Just a side note. Um, but back to the and then she falls out, and he's like he becomes that it took her dying to suddenly him realizing just how much of a dick move he's what what he's done altogether uh you know and he's standing on the ledge and, and he realizes oh great i lost another one um, not 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 just that the way he's standing there looking down implies that that experience cured him of his vertigo yeah because yep. he looks down without falling. You're absolutely right. This movie's two I, hours long, so you might I, actually forget that angle. People did fall twice in order for it to happen. Yeah, it took two people twice to... Uh, an extra traumatic event. But yeah, you're right. Well, he didn't, didn't, well, remember, he didn't make it to the top of the tower the first time. Right. This time he says, I made it. Yep. And, Do you think... I mean... I don't really think that he was intending to throw her off the tower, but how far do you think his abuses would have gone before he said, Oh, I forgive you. I'm, I'm just kidding here. Let's go home. I don't think he was in that forgiving mode. Yeah. I don't think he could have ever. I don't think that, I don't think that that was in the cards to forgive him. Do you think that if she hadn't accidentally fall, he would have actually killed her? Probably. Yes. Interesting. I, I you see, and I'm I'm not trying to be contradictory. I don't think so. I don't think so either. I I I, I don't, don't think he was I think he was too weak. He wouldn't he, see himself as a victim if he killed her. He he wanted to teach her a lesson. He wanted to punish her because of his obsession with her and the control he was getting over but her. Did he want to kill her. But what no. was it? Yeah, what was his end game though? Yes, I, th I think it was to completely finally break her. I don't think he was planning on actually throwing her off. I think he was wanted up there to break her completely. Maybe hoping that she actually, you know, finally becomes Madeline. But the way he was with her, even as he moved up with the stairs, as abusive as he was, and the surprise when she falls out, how he feels in that, I don't think he actually was intending to kill her. Uh, maybe taking it to the very edge, I don't think, I think his end game would be her complete breakdown, emotion physically, and just completely surrender to him, completely admit she was, you know, a hundred percent wrong. And, you know, I, I don't think he took her up there to complete to, to kill her, just to teach her a lesson to to discipline her. Well, let's not also forget though, it not only does by finding out about this, not only does he uh discover that all of this has been a uh a ruse and, and a plot, he also uh it also destroys his vision of her. Right. He was going to take some country bumpkin from Kansas and he was going to create, recreate uh, the image of this dead woman. And he got her to talk like her, dress like her, act like her. And 
now he can't turn away that he can't do that because she never existed in the first place. So I don't know. I can't, I, I just don't, I, I, I don't want to think he would do it, but I can't imagine that he was thinking in, if, I mean, he was obviously not thinking in his right mind. No. And uh, I think that, I mean, we've seen a lot of emasculated, weak people that turned out to be killers. I mean, it's actually usually the primary characteristic of an abuser. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I still, I still, I still think, yeah, I still think that as soon as she got into that car, she was done for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about you, David? Since you're for death. Um, not just kidding, I'm putting it down for for him becoming the murderer. Uh, why do you think uh, that he would actually toss her out the bell tower? Um, uh, because I think that um, it doesn't take that uh, that much to push someone over the edge. Mm -hmm. It really, it really do uh, doesn't. Uh, I mean. Obvious, obviously, if you're going to be a killer, there's uh, there's a weakness in you so, uh, 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 somewhere. Uh, 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 but that doesn't mean that you're not a strong person. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, you, he obviously, when he drove her in the car, he, ha he had a goal in, in mind. He, ha he had a goal to take her back to the pl uh, place in, in which he, he thought that he was in love with his significant other and these are the moments before he saw her die the one that he became obsessed over or, or at least in his mind he thought it was love okay mm -hmm. so when he get, it takes her to that precipice and walks her th uh, through it he's watching her uh, go through this uh, uh, pro uh, the same process that she as she did, except he's just goading her with his own strength to, mm -hmm. uh, up those stairs, up uh, up to that uh, uh, tower, over to the, uh, to the edge. Do I think that he, uh, that if she hadn't fallen, would he would he have uh, backed her up to, uh, to, uh, towards her and uh, pushed her? I think he was that much close mm -hmm. uh, 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 to being able to do that uh, because. He had already snapped. Mm -hmm. His mind was unbalanced. Would he have stopped himself from killing her if she had not fallen? Hmm. Maybe. Maybe not. It's a big maybe. So. What about you, Don? You're you're in the same camp I am as as he wouldn't kill her. I think that uh, Scott and David make a good argument. I, I still don't think he would intentionally push her off. Mm -hmm. However, I am willing to believe that he would cause a situation that I, I do not believe he would intentionally in the front of his mind kill her because that would make, that would definitely prove, that would definitely be proof that he's not the victim. Right. And he desperately needs to be clinging to the idea that he is the victim of the piece. However, I am willing to believe, because uh, Scott and David's arguments were good, that he would cause a situation, even had the nun not come up and scared her off, 
where they would have gotten into a physical struggle and she would have accidentally, you can't see my air quotes, uh, <laughs> fallen out the window. Right. But it would have had to have been a very contrived situation where he could still believe himself the victim, even though he very clearly isn't. Yep. I, I, as far as I <laughs> no, I, I follow you. And I, I agree. Uh, Scott and David make very strong arguments and you're right. Yeah. I, I can definitely see him putting in that situation where most likely the accident happens and she dies, which then makes you wonder, what all happens to Ferguson? Because let's see, in the span of, oh, a year, year and a half, three people have died around him from falling off balconies accidentally. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I'm starting to think he put, he's put on a watch list somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, you know, you know what he's thinking when he's looking down. He's thinking, oh, man, this is going to be run one rough inquest. Maybe the next institution he'll maybe the next institution he was put in will be what an actual institution looked like at that time period. <laughs> exactly. No, but you, you, they didn't look like a another apartment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I it looked it looked like a boutique, didn't it? Did no one it, see the, the noose that was hanging in that apartment that uh, she was uh, uh, that he went and visited. Uh, 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 where she disappeared from. Uh, oh, there was a noose? Yeah, there was a noose hanging down in, uh, from the ceiling as he was going up the stairs. Huh. That was at the, uh, that was at that one hotel, hotel that, yeah. that Carlotta was at, right? Yeah. Supposed to be Carlotta's right. home or they uh, owned correct. it. Right before they went into the, uh, 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 into the room that she showed him. Yeah. Uh, there was a noose hanging down the stair, uh, uh, down uh, down the central of the sta staircase. I was uh, thinking, hmm, that well. that uh, that a lot of that suicide imagery was intentional to make uh, Scotty believe that um, she was suicidal. Yeah, and 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 really promote that white knight mm -hmm. impulse in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's just showing Alfred's uh, craft through these films. Did everyone see Alfred throughout the whole thing? Oh yeah, yep. <laughs> he 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 does uh, enter stage left, existing <laughs> right. Very brief moment. So I, I did see, I did catch Alfred this time. Mm -hmm. He's he was tougher to see in the Man Who Knew Too Much, um, uh, in the uh, fifty-six version. Um, but he was in there too. But yeah, I definitely saw him in this one. So. There is an Alfred sighting as well in this film. So there you go. <laughs> completes Vertigo. And that completes our discussion for tonight. I, I know we went a little bit long, but this film, man, it's like, you wonder why we're doing eight weeks of Hitchcock. We could do a year of Hitchcock. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many different things he does in his films. And this one is really one that I think it's one of, not just Jimmy Stewart's darkest films, his darkest film. I mean, yeah, I mean, we have Psycho in that, but this really, especially looking at it from quote unquote modern eyes, this film is disturbing. <laughs> it, it touches people because people want to believe that they're always doing the best they can do, mm -hmm. even when they're not. And that's why this movie really touches people.
this is the first movie uh, that I saw of Alfred Hitchcock that actually emitted some kind of an emotion from, uh, from me mm-hmm. because of the, uh, the fa- fact that it deals with suicide. And um, I always remembered the two women, you know, the, the doppelgangers. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, Scotty D, any, any final thought with, with the vertigo? Uh, just that uh, maybe uh, Scotty should uh, go to uh, you know, live in a ranch. That's about <laughs> it. Yeah. Live on a one-level ranch. You know, out, out in the away from everybody. You know, don't and, uh, and uh, maybe, uh, maybe he should be put on a list. Honestly, maybe. also. <laughs> wow, I just went to a dark place for Vertigo Return. Uh, Return to Vertigo. His character, Alfred Hitchcock, comes back from the grave to direct this. Hold on, here we go. John Scotty Ferguson is so obsessed he starts dressing like Madeline Elster but he doesn't realize he's dressing like Madison Elster so he is becoming obsessed with himself oh wait isn't that psycho yeah right right (laughs) that's the next movie movie he did after this because uh, and it was seen as like boy does he Hitchcock still have it because Vertigo was a bomb when it came out. It did, did not do really? well, and it was even yeah, it was not well. It was not received well. Actually, I take it back. It wasn't his next movie. North by Northwest was, right. and that actually was a hit. But Vertigo mm-hmm. was not a big hit. Um, nope. It was. It did not do well, and it did not get great reviews. It got kind of feared of Midland reviews. They said, "Oh, here we go again." And there's this idea that maybe Hitchcock might be old hat. You know, he was being criticized like these new people are on the block and they're doing so much better in more interesting stuff. Uh, there was a French film called Diabolique that was getting a lot of oh, yeah. play. And that's why. And one of the reasons he uh, hit, uh, they did Vertigo is because it was based on a book by the writers of Diabolique. Oh. <laughs> and uh, then Vertigo didn't do well. And so he went to North by Northwest, which I think is his most crowd-pleasing movie. Uh, and it's a great, it's a great movie. Uh, mm-hmm. But Psycho, he was kind of seen as like, geez, is he all washed up? Is he just going to be doing TV now? And um, and that's when he totally rewrote the rules of how movies are made. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> again, screw, screw you guys. We're good. And just- everybody was like, do you have a who? nice well i thank my panel uh for going a little extra long tonight but as you can tell folks there's still a lot you could dissect with this film it's just amazing and again i know we're looking at it here we are you know 60 years later looking at it but at the same time it's even more of an interesting film i think looking at through more modern eyes than maybe you know back then because it covered a lot of subjects no one talked about. And now that we mentioned it, yeah, you know what? I could see Ferguson turning into old Norman Bates. So <laughs> there's an alternate psycho for you. Uh, but uh, yeah, Alfred's signature stuff in here. Check it out if you haven't already, folks. It, it's it, You got to see it to see what a film like this. And then you're going to go, wait, this was made in 1958? You're kidding me. <laughs> because... It's it's a standout film. 
um and it's much appreciated i know i'll be revisiting it soon too so this is now the part where i give uh, my uh, crew members the license to shill and they can tell you where they're at when they're not here so dawn sometimes you can find me in the audience.net fantastic some great written reviews there check it out uh, david you can find me on inside movies galore on youtube and facebook Awesome. And Scotty D, I know it's not been updated for a while, but <laughs> I still ever get want my... you, I still want you to plug it because there's such great stuff. So oh, thank you. It. Yeah, if I ever get my peepers working again, there'll be more. But uh the uh you can catch uh, a lot of my old writings at a site called moviocrity.com. Uh and then you can catch uh my old web series moviocrity. Uh, probably the best place to catch that is at Vimeo because uh, we stay away from the YouTube prudes. Yes. Uh, so that's at Vimeo.com slash channels slash Moviocrity. Awesome. And I would also like to just give a shout out to all the fun people out there who are taking time to listen to us on Spotify. We are out there and people are listening. And I so much appreciate that you uh, visiting our little sliver of the podcast world. Uh, thank you so much to my crew members, and I hope you're enjoying these eight weeks of uh, Hitchcock. We mentioned it. We will be talking about it. Yes, the next film up will be North by Northwest. So stay tuned for that, folks. And uh, let's just say a good evening, everyone. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Hey, all my friends out there looking for more spoiler room goodness? Then why don't you check out our brand new Patreon page, patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions, where you can get access to exclusive spoiler room episodes and a whole lot more. You can also find us on Facebook groups at SMPRD and on to Twitter at SpecialMarkPro. Let your voice be heard and let us know what you would like to see in the spoiler room, as well as just how we're doing in general. We appreciate your support and remember in the spoiler room, the conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies.